Welcome to the Elijah Fire Podcast, where we jump into issues of today with faith and freedom instead of fear. And now here's your host, Jeff Tharp. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Elijah Fire episode 379. Guys, we're getting close. We're getting close to episode 400. So please, I said it a couple days ago and no one answered the bat signal I put up. We want to hear from you guys. If you guys have a cool, cool idea, it can be crazy. It can be fun. It can be, maybe you're like, oh, this is lame. Say it anyway. Say the lame thing because it might not actually be lame. Let us know if you guys have any fun ideas for episode 400 spicy food challenge elimination set. See, the sky is the limit. All right. We could do our own version of hot wings and we, we sit there and we eat spicy food and we test out who taps first. Um, I don't know. Uh, let us know, you guys, because uh, we just we, we love you guys. We love engaging with you guys. We have a great community of believers. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, we, we love we love uh, socializing with you guys. So let us know. Uh, today is Wednesday, January 31st. We are officially on our way out January and into February. Um, I just scheduled my Valentine's Day plans with my wife and I'm excited. You guys know I get excited about that stuff. Um, so there's a dinner dinner theater in town. She knows what we're doing, so I can say this and it won't be a spoiler. But there's a dinner theater in town um, that does sit-down Valentine's Day things. They've been doing it for years. And so uh, we're going to be doing that. It's super fun. Uh, we're really looking forward to that. Uh, it's going to be great. I also bought her her Valentine's Day gift. Because we do Valentine's Day gifts as well. So I bought her her Valentine's Day gifts. Those I will not be saying on the show because I don't want to spoil the surprise for her. Um, so I bought her a horse. No, I didn't buy her a horse. Uh, and then also please make sure to follow us on, on Spotify, the Elijah fire podcast on Spotify. Give us an honest review wherever you're listening to this. And we so appreciate those. You guys have been bringing the heat with those reviews. You guys are super generous, all fours and fives. I'm sure there's a rogue one in there. Some unintentional star Wars reference. But I'm sure there's a rogue one in there. Um, and that's fine. That's fine. Uh, but we guys, we appreciate you and we appreciate those reviews. So also, guys, Elijahstreams.com slash donate is how you can donate. Some of you guys are like, dude, I want to get in on the ground level. And um uh that's how you that's how you can support this ministry. And you guys have been super generous and we so appreciate that. And um the amazing thing about it is not only is that that money going towards this ministry, but it's also going to water well efforts around the world. Uh, and so we partnered with Show Mercy International. Mike and Lori Sally are amazing, amazing people and are doing amazing things because of your guys' generosity. So we're going to play a quick video and then we're going to get going. Water is an essential to life. What if it just disappeared? In Uganda, many don't have access to clean, safe water. Every 15 seconds, a child dies from water-related diseases. Together, we will change that by continuing to provide clean water wells. Donate online at ElijahStreams.com donate. Or mail a check today to Elijah Streams. 525 2nd Avenue Southwest, Suite 629, Albany, Oregon, 97321. Thank you guys again so much for your donations. You guys are amazing. 
And um, yeah, I can't wait. Steve and Doreen and Mike and Lori Sally, they're going to Uganda next month. And um, uh, I believe we're sending a camera crew. I'm not sure I've been hearing that we were, um, but uh, I'm just excited to hear about the testimonies and even firsthand Steve uh, being able to see the fruit of his labor. This is a, a promise that he's been standing on for 30 years um, of, of investing in water wells. And, and so sometimes it takes that long. You're fostering a prophetic word and um, being a good steward with it. And um, yeah, God's faithful. So it's amazing. It's just, it's really cool to see all this kind of playing out and snowballing at rapid rates. So guys, thank you again for your donations. All right, um, guys, we're going to talk about some some awesome stuff today. Um, I'm really excited. We were already talking backstage and we're like, man, this is great. This is great stuff. And we're just chatting. So um, guys, without any further ado, my guest today, you know her, you love her. She's the leader of Revive the Way. Let's give it up for our guest today, Rayma Trainer. Hello. Welcome back. Welcome to Elijah Fire 2024, Rama. Thank you. Yeah. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, all right, we're going to jump in because we have a lot of important stuff to talk Thank about. You. We're going to just dive in. Yes. I was telling you backstage, uh, cause we're going to be talking about, uh, I mean, we titled this defining hubs and houses. Hmm. Um, and I was talking to you about how I talked to multiple people different denominations over the, the course of the last couple of weeks. And it, there is this kind of common denominator that people are feeling, really feeling this pull towards more intimate settings in terms of the church and churches we know it. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot that comes with that because there's a lot of vulnerability that comes from that. You know, when you're closer proximity with people, like when I led short-term mission teams, you get over the honeymoon phase very quickly with each other and then you're faced with all of the <laughs> dysfunction and then you ride that out and you stay committed and then there's this intimacy this this close-knit um thing that happens when you do persevere through that and and i think that um anyways i would love to hear you set this whole thing up and then we're gonna just talk we're gonna talk all about it yeah yeah yeah, you know, I think that um, I think most people who have kind of been sensing this rumbling, right? They they know that something is changing, right? They know that something is missing. They know that like, oh, like I love the church, I love Jesus, but like this just isn't it, and I don't know what it is, but it isn't this, um, you know. And people are are grasping for language. They're grasping to try to understand what it is that God is doing so that they can, you know, come into alignment with it. Like, that's what I see a lot. You know, when you think about the intimacy of the home, you know, the intimacy of family, the intimacy of coming into relationships of people that, you know, are really there for you and the, the beauty of fellowship and all this, like everybody wants that, you know, it, it, as you grow up in culture of church, like many of us did, you know, sometimes you find that in different seasons. Um, you know, I can yeah. think of times when I had really close, you know, community and people that I loved and that we were walking together in life. Other seasons, maybe not, um, you know, just kind of depended on the context who was there, whatever. Um, but I think there's there's kind of a dual a dual thing that's very important right now that God is highlighting and establishing that. Yes, the body needs intimacy and fellowship and communion with each other. But then we also need to grow up and we need to become mature. Yeah, come on. 
And that is speaking to becoming the the army of God, right? So we need to be a family of God, but he's also growing us up to be an army of God, like people who are mature and well-equipped in order to occupy. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, you know, many expressions of, you know, the, the, the church or what would call themselves, you know, church, it's, you're not accomplishing either. <laughs> you know, there's not either really being established and being, um, you know, usually you're kind of good at one or the other, or sometimes neither. Right. But God is really wanting there to be a mature body so that we really can be, you know, the, the, the saints, you know, that we're called mm-hmm. to be on the earth. And we wonder why is there no transformation of our cities? Why mm-hmm. is there no, it's not because we're not you know, praying enough. It's not because we don't do enough evangelism. It's not because we're not doing enough events. It's because we are not mature and people are not taking their place individually. Like each believer taking their place of kingdom assignment in maturity, mm-hmm. you know, in the sphere that God's called them to be. But in order to become mature, we don't just need community and family and intimacy. We also need to be purposefully grown up into the deeper things of God. Mm-hmm. And so it's both. Yeah. And it's kind of in that dual need that we all have to be, you know, loved and known and um, in fellowship, but then to be mature, it's in that need that we find this discussion, you know, that we're talking about today mm-hmm. of how God is reshaping our understanding of church, our understanding yeah. of ecclesia, our understanding yeah. of who we are in the world, you know, as representatives of Jesus and taking away a lot of these boxes of religion that have been placed around that to tell us, well, no, it can't go outside of these boundaries. Mm -hmm. It's like, but those boundaries, you're telling me this can't, you know, go outside of man created those boundaries. Yeah. Come on. Those, those boundaries are not even in scripture. Mm -hmm. And so we have to return. Like I talk a lot about the blueprint um, when I talk about the era, like new wineskin era, and we're we're in, we've entered a new era. Like I've been saying that for like the last year, like we're, we've come into this, you know, the year of the open door, the new era that God has us in, where we really are entering that new thing. We're not talking about it anymore. We're seeing it and we're entering it. Yeah. And in order to enter it, there's a lot of stuff we're going to have to let go of from the old that has been produced from religion and produced from blueprints that are actually not from scripture. So when we talk, or you well, so really quick though, is that a those things letting go of those things, um, letting those things die? Are there common things? Okay, you could point like this, this, and this, or is it just unique to hey, like some of you guys might be doing this in genuine love and of one accord, but another person in another church or another group of people might actually not be doing. Is it? Is it easy to identify those things that need to go away or is it kind of more like, hey, it's going to be kind of unique to that community? Can you speak to that a little bit more? Does that make sense what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, it okay. does. And yeah. I, I can address like, is this like a, a values thing? Is this like how we're living out something or is this an overhaul? Hmm. So that that's more of like the question, like, is this a reformation or is this like a you know, let's tweak some things and make sure we have the right heart. Mm. And I believe this is a reformation. Yeah, I believe that it is an overhaul of systems, structures, and a decoupling with man-made things. Mm -hmm. So that will affect everyone. It will affect the whole body there. It's not like a, 
you know, these people need to do this a little different. These people need to do this a little different. God is coming for purity in the whole body mm-hmm. in order to reform us into a different way. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, and it's not when we talk like the blueprint thing, I was talking about the ax blueprint. So when we go back to the scriptural blueprint and we draw, okay, what is right? How are we building from that? Well, that is where we're meant to get our, uh, you know, blueprints, pioneering, you know, ways, if you will, versus going to what man has created and trying to keep everything we shift within that separate blueprint that is actually not from the Bible. We, we read the Bible often through the lens of what we've interpreted church and, you know, Ecclesia. Yeah, the and, corporate like, structure of church as we know it today. Exactly. We read through our, our culture. Yeah. And so God is wanting to remove the lens, take us into a different paradigm mm-hmm. so we can actually build from the right foundation. And yeah. so that's what this reformation is about at the moment. And so that's why it's shaking everything, mm. everything like down to the core. Um, but we, we know that God is doing a new thing. You know, I talk about that a lot. Like God's doing a new thing. It's not the old thing with new language. It's not the old thing with like just changing things. Like it's a new thing. Mm-hmm. However, it's also an ancient thing, right? Because it's going right. back to the ancient paths. Yeah. So it's, it's and to not revive the way, the way, yeah. which the way is Jesus. It's mm-hmm. not a, it's not a, a structure. Mm-hmm. The way is not do these things. However, those things proceed out of who we are, but the way himself is Jesus. Yeah. As we're in him, we find his ways. We begin to function in his ways, but Jesus hasn't always been the center of the Western church. Yeah. Dude. Right. So. Well, we've had it, we've had it backwards too, for so long where it's like, okay, we'll know Jesus if we put in systems and I'm like, and and then we'll know his ways. If we try in our own ability to implement his ways, I'm like, no, it's by knowing Jesus. And that's like something that's happened even within me as a creative. Um, and with my wife and myself of going, like, I would say within the past four years, I've noticed this within myself of like, really hard because there's things that i was taught in school of like okay you need to you need to know this and you need to stay on top of trends and you need to do this and and um like there's a formula to art and and realizing as the lord began to strip things off of me even creatively of like hey stop watching this hey stop reading that hey and it, it offended me at first and i was like well hang on and i now stand on the side of everything you do has to stem from your relationship with Jesus. And so talking to young people, talking to people of any age, for me, it's like the most important thing about you is your relationship with Jesus. And everything you do needs to stem from that, whether it's art, whether it's finding, you know, like whether it's your marriage, whether it's, it could be on and on at your job, but it's that same idea to, to the church at at its very core. It's like the most important thing about you Rama, the most important thing about me is our relationship with Jesus and having our identity properly aligned with who he is. And then when we come together, knowing that it's being seated in that place, um, there is, it's different, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, on an aside kind of in response to what you just said, since it's a conversation, Mm -hmm. um, I've been, I've been walking with, um, a group of leaders um, in this course that I'm running, taking them 
essentially it's called reroute um, a new pathway out of orphan leadership mm-hmm. or, you know, a, a pathway out of orphan leadership. So yeah. really helping people understand how to stop leading out of, you know, being an orphan, which most many leadership, you know, values and ways just come out of that naturally because of the way things are structured. Yeah. And as we were talking about sonship, because you mentioned, um, you know, as we understand our identity, mm-hmm. I think many leaders and believers in general really don't understand the concept of orphanhood and sonship. They're catchy phrases that we talk about a lot, mm-hmm. even especially in charismatic. Yeah. Oh, you know, you got to live out of your identity. My identity as a son, I'm, I'm a son, um, you know, you get free from the orphan spirit. Bam. You know, uh-huh. and, and we, we use this kind of language, but I actually don't think we understand it because Yes, you can get delivered from an orphan spirit, but that didn't make you a son. Coming into sonship is the process of union with Jesus. Like in Romans 8, when it talks about the the unification with Christ, like that, right, that by the spirit, we cry, Abba. Yeah. That we are actually entering into this union relationship with Jesus, where it's actually in him that we cry, Abba. It's not like, oh, you're like Jesus, you know, like a son, like him. No, you're in Jesus. And in Jesus, we cry, Abba. It's it's in the union that the sonship is being cultivated in us as we're being fathered in him Mm. through the spirit, right? So we, we have to understand everything about our journey into our identity, everything about sonship. It's not like I receive the spirit of adoption. I receive the spirit of adoption. Yes, you receive the spirit of adoption as you become like yeah, Jesus. Come on. Come on. You become like the son. Yeah. It's not like grasping a hold of an ideal. Right. Because I think that's the thing that I notice in the in the West is whether you're a intellectual or whether you're not, whether you're um, you know, kind of more philosophically minded or not, we do tend to kind of be like, okay, well, I need to wrap myself my wrap my head around this idea before I can execute it or um, and I think, yeah, I, I, I think that as I like, I really sat in Romans chapter six, actually last year, a lot, just over and over, I ended up memorizing it actually. And, um, just the reality that I'm like, dude, like when you're baptized, you're dead. And I think like, that's, I don't know. It's, it, it, it it's like a. It's like this ever developing revelation of that, you know, um, well, baptism into like we're being baptized into the death mm-hmm. of Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. So or the death of Christ, which is our death. Mm-hmm. So, right. We say baptized with him in his death and raised yeah. her up, you know, in, in newness of life. We're we're being baptized into our own death and into his life. Yeah. And which is also that process of being fully dead mm-hmm. right and it takes time yeah you don't just get a deliverance at an altar it, right. you, you need time to come into that union there's a maturing that's taking place yeah and it's like we are becoming sons mm-hmm. versus just receiving a spirit of adoption and like this revelation really really shifted some people because mm-hmm. they've been trying to live like in their identity as sons they don't understand. It's not something you can choose to do. You only, it, it, it happens. Yeah. Like it proceeds from you. 
as you live in union. Thanks for listening. The Elijah Fire podcast is made possible by donations like yours. To become a partner, visit ElijahFire.com slash give. We, you yeah. know, we have to start helping people understand like how to come into Christ. There is nothing outside of him, right? All fruit that's produced out of the vine comes from union. Yeah. Everything that we do. Yeah. Um, Rama, do you feel like um, there's a couple of directions I want to go, but I want to hit this first. Um, do you feel like, you know, we criticize, I guess, like I would say progressive ideologies that have infiltrated in the church because it's this come as you are, stay as you are mentality. Do you feel like, though, that mentality? it's easy to pin it on progressive ideologies infiltrating the church and, you know, um, I guess affirming people's sin and them staying in sinful lifestyles, but it actually is a deeper issue because to me, it looks like it's not just a progressive Christianity issue of come as you are, stay as you are. There are a lot of people, even people that maybe don't adhere to those progressive ideologies, but there's this, not wanting to change. There's this, I guess, this resistance to allowing themselves to be transformed even outside of those overt sins. Is that making sense? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, see, there's so many issues here that would actually take the whole, like that one question Mm -hmm. is, (laughs) it's a whole hour of things that could be addressed because it's, you're dealing with, the fact that most churches have a false belief that their that their gatherings are for unbelievers, the false belief that even you know, as you're as bringing people together, that you know we're we're unified around you know, hey, like like I don't even know what people are unifying around actually at this point, because the the assembly of the believers is around our dedication to Jesus. It's a, and it's not the idea of Jesus; it's the actual death to self and surrendered to life in Christ and becoming formed into his image. So I'm not even sure what, you know, a lot of churches are doing other than trying to like bait people, you know, Hey, if we do enough stuff, people will eventually decide to follow him. No, there's a, like, there's a death that has to take place. Yeah. And, you know, it is such a bigger topic, even around like the very, and this therein, it leads kind of to the topic we even are kind of more focusing on today which is why we have to shift and understand like what God is doing in the church right now, because we have to grow up the the levels of immaturity that we pass as like Christianity is like, we're not ready for what God is doing right now on the earth. We're not ready for what the enemy is doing on the earth. If Mm -hmm. we don't grow up, like we're doomed. You know what I mean? Like one of the, one of the, um, one of the biggest, uh, you know, I guess convictions, if you will, um, that God gave me like 10 year, um, nine or 10 years ago, he's like, I need you to go a different way because the church is dying. You know, and statistically, we know this is true. The church is dying. Mm-hmm. Well, why is the church dying? Well, it needs to be resurrected into new life. That's for sure. There needs to be a new life, which is what God is doing now. He's giving us new life because we know that his plan and purpose is not that the church is going to die. We know that the church, he cannot die. You know, it, 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 it's going to, you know, exceed our possible expectations and the harvest of souls and all the things that God's going to do as he expands the kingdom. We know how it ends because we have the book. 
but what we see is not leading to how it ends. <laughs> and so there must be some crazy plan that God has to shift the church in such a major way that we come into a different reality than what we've seen and experienced. And so I believe that that's where we're at right now, you know, where God is shifting us into maturity and he's dealing with what we've really like accepted as Christianity, as, yeah. you know, church culture, as all this stuff. And he's bringing us into a totally different paradigm mm. so that he'll have his glorious bride and his mature church on the earth, because it isn't the case right now in the West, but it's coming. I believe that God is laying the framework for that and that we're going to see it on the earth. So yeah. that's kind of what we're, you know, even discussing when we talk about the Ecclesia and what, what really is this reformation and shift that God is doing, mm. um, you know, because it's not, it's not just about fellowship, even though fellowship is important. It's not just about, you know, being equipped, being warriors for Christ. It's not just about that, although that is part of it. It's both, right? It's yeah. to, to form maturity in believers. It's, you know, even the it's the called out ones, the assembly of God you know, who are prepared, who are trained, who are matured and sent into the world. You know, this, this is the apostolic calling of all believers to be sent, to be yeah. sent ones yeah. who are mature in their lane, their sphere, their calling. Yeah. So in order to do that, we've got to change our priorities. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like how we're even watering down um, messages, you know, like mm -hmm. there's so many churches today, today that are like, well, let me break this down so that you can understand it. And, and yeah. I was saying how like this year marks my yeah. 20th year as being a believer and I'm still unpacking Romans. But the thing is, is that Paul was writing to believers, you know, he right. wasn't like, okay, hold on, let me break this down. Let me, let me simplify this so that everybody can understand. And I'm like, it's, I'm still, we're, I'm going to be in Romans and other books for the rest yeah. of my life, you know, and they're yeah, written and to it, believers. And it removes. So I wrote, I wrote a lot about this. I actually think it would be a great other topic to go like deep, deep because it's, I have a lot of writing about why the gathering is for believers mm. and about why, how we've like the, the actual damage that we do to the body in general, mm. when we don't understand that. Um, yeah. and no, by the gathering, I don't mean the services. Cause I think God is getting rid of that understanding anyway. Yeah. <laughs> when we gather, the gathering is only with believers in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Only. There's no other temp pattern in scripture. Nothing. We remove see, but, but, but the reason we have all these things in place is because of the immaturity of the church. We, yeah. a better question we have to ask, why do we produce believers that are unable to fulfill their commission Dude. because evangelism is the commission of the individual believer. It's not the commission of a service. We don't create services to evangelize believers evangelize by the word of our testimony and the power of the blood of Jesus. So why don't we have believers who are mature enough to fulfill that mission? Well, yeah. we don't want to ask that question. So we just keep inviting them to church services. And we've created a new strategy for evangelism. No, no wonder it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It's not a biblical strategy. Mm -hmm. Dude. Yeah. 
And I was actually talking to, um, I uh, like I mentioned to you backstage that I I went and spoke at uh, a Bible study, and it was just I mean it was a great time. All these like hungry young people that are just like passionate about the Lord. And I was talking to, cause a lot of them haven't gone the way of sinful paths and, you know, fallen into the throes of those types of things. Um, and I was talking about how, you know, growing up, I didn't do that either. Um, I didn't live like the way I talked, all those things I didn't, I wouldn't have called myself a Christian, but I didn't get caught up in partying and messing around with girls and all of that. Um, but, you know, for a long time, and I think a lot of believers look at this this way, too, where they're like, I don't have a testimony because I didn't I didn't get into intravenous drugs and I didn't uh, I wasn't a prostitute and then got radically saved. And so we, we, we caricaturize what it means to actually be saved. We caricaturize even what a testimony is when the Bible says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And like testifying of God's faithfulness, stepping on in faith and God coming through, like that is part of your testimony. The fact that you didn't, you actually listened to the Holy Spirit and you didn't get into addiction or you didn't get into these other things is part of your testimony. And so we, like there's so many people within the church that look at like, like they're like Christian light because they're not, you know, I don't know, insert anybody who's got a radical testimony out there that is, you know, doing things for the Lord. But even that is something where it's like that affects then like the way you interpret scripture, the way that you look at things that, that Jesus talks about. You're like, well, I wasn't like Mary Magdalene. So, you know, God's going to use them more than he's going to use me. Anyways. Nah, man, I hope my kids have no testimony. I hope they don't have any testimony at all. <laughs> Just amorphous blobs yeah beige and the word of our testimony it's not like oh like my life was absolutely the worst i was the worst and then jesus saved me it's the testimony of jesus it's the Mm -hmm. testimony Mm -hmm. of the power of the blood of jesus Mm -hmm. and how that has taken an effect in our life it's the boldness to declare the gospel like you know it, it has very little to do even with us, but it's like, Hey, I know him. He, he is, I I'm a child of God. The, the, the testimony of life in Christ, you know, it, it's, yeah, we can talk about, yes, God saved me from all these things. And that's beautiful. And that is a part of some people's testimony, but the power is the, the power of Jesus, regardless, whether it's like how it's affecting our life now the, the, the testimony of, you know, our union with Christ, the, the mysteries of the kingdom of God, the, the renewal of, you know, how God uses us to renew things in the earth. Like, I mean, we just minimize and everything's been so dumbed down. Mm-hmm. Like, and we've got to like, just raise the standards, you know, of what we, of what we think things are meant to be and how we mm-hmm. even explain these things to other people, you know? Yeah, um, yeah for sure. But anyway, eventually we'll talk about the thing that we're here to talk about, but maybe yeah. not. Yeah. Maybe talk not. about it. Talk about it, Rayma. Go there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Let's just talk about sunship. We get like, it's a conversation. We can talk about whatever. Yeah. And no, I just um, think, I think it's a great topic. And I think like the reality too, is that, um, and I know this was like this for me too, of for so long. And it's that performance based thing. Like for so long, it's like, okay, I need to wrap my head around this. 
before I can be a son. And I'm like, the fact that I said yes to Jesus, that his blood atoned for my sins, makes me a son. And 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 I it was that shift of like, I've been trying to wrap my head around this reality for so long without realizing that I'm already that because of what Jesus did. And that is that is a powerful revelation. Um because it totally shifts the way you start to look at things Paul talks about, things Jesus talks about. Um, yeah, that is a powerful revelation. Can be fathered. So think about it. Like when we go back to the sonship reality, which mm-hmm. maybe that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. When we come back to the sonship reality, right? Like only a son can be fathered. And so, yes, there is. I, I actually wrote something today that not everything that is our inheritance or our, um, or our, uh, you know, the rights that we have as believers, right. Our inheritance and our, um, whatever else, like it's not all reality until we process into sonship. Mm. And so we have a lot of things that are, yes, they are true. We are a son. That is a fact. Mm-hmm. Now we come as a son to be fathered that we might live in sonship. Yeah. So the, the whole, like, you know, well, the righteousness, you know, all things at the cross, like I was made fully righteous. Well, yes, that has been available, made available to you. Now you must come into that reality through mm-hmm. the sun. Mm-hmm. Everything that Jesus is the door yeah. to everything. Yeah. And so there's nothing available to us in the kingdom that can be applied and accessible to us unless we come through Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so this is why the union is just this, it is, it is the message. <laughs> if we don't understand how to live in Christ, all things, all things proceed from that reality, but to live in Christ, we have to die. Mm-hmm. So those who won't die, they're not living in Christ, which is most of the church, which is why we have so many peripheral issues stemming from the radical immaturity. Yeah. Mm. We'll just title this one. We talked <laughs> the sunship reality. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I just feel like, I mean, it's, it's obvious that this happens from time to time on the show where we have a plan and then it completely, God takes it in a different direction. I, I really just think that this is something that's so important. If we're even to, if we're going to even grab a hold of the things that you're talking about. And I think it's been interesting to see God is very much involved in this process because like I was telling you, I've talked to, you know, like last year, I think towards the tail end of the year, you came on, you were like, Hey guys, like this next year, you're going to start seeing a lot. I've been saying this this whole time, but especially in 2024, you're going to start seeing people leaving the the church structures we know it and forming smaller groups and and spreading out and um uh truly being the ecclesia and um like clockwork starting this year all the conversations i've had with people where they're talking about this thing it's like yeah just i i I, this is what this is what's up this is it like this is where I feel like I actually feel seen and I feel um, I feel like 
there's this equally yoked nature to, um, yeah, to, to being in smaller groups. Um, all your junk is laid out there too, for people to see, you know, and, um, I paralleled it with leading short-term teams where it's like very quickly you get past that honeymoon phase of like, we're all together and this is awesome. And we're of one accord. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, that person really annoys me. Or wow, that thing I did really annoyed people. And then persevering through that, staying committed, you come out the other side of that and it shifts into this deeper thing where it's like you move together and you, you truly become of one accord. It doesn't mean that there isn't conflict. It doesn't mean that there isn't imperfections that need to be dealt with. There's deliverance, all those things, those things still happen. But if persevere, if you push through it anyways, I'm, I'm just thinking, thinking out loud here, but sure. It's, you come into different times and seasons, right? So when yeah. we understand, um, you know, we're like, we understood the tribe of Issachar, right? They were the, the ones who understood the times mm-hmm. and the seasons. Right. Is it the Issachar or is it the sons of, sons of Issachar? Yeah. I think it's the sons of Issachar, yeah. yeah. So the times and the seasons have to deal with the Kairos, like the, the moments of God, right? So we're, we're in this like, you know, mega narrative, which, you know, ties in also to the, the concept and the understanding in this moment of reformation. Mm-hmm. We, we've been, you're going, we're, we're living in, you know, the Kronos, the, the regular time, you right. know, that we all live in, but Kairos is the appointed time. And God has appointed times in the narrative of humanity. Mm-hmm. And so you see that people who are in tune with the spirit can recognize what the spirit is saying to the church. Right. And so you come into these kairos, these moments, these appointed times where then hearts begin to radically and dramatically shift to what God is doing or what God is saying, because it's what the spirit is doing right now. Mm-hmm. And so when you see that widespread, you have to pay attention. Oh, this is a time of God. This is a marking. God is doing something right now. Mm-hmm. And then that's where most people find themselves. Okay, well, what is he doing? I don't understand it. I don't know what it is. I don't, but everyone recognizes by the spirit, we're in a moment. We're yeah. in a shift. Mm-hmm. And people have been seeing that and recognizing that for years that we were coming to this point. And so it's now a matter of defining this point. So it's not so much like, I don't think it takes a lot of discernment for someone at the moment to, to say like, the church is in a new era. We're entering a new wineskin. You know, there's so many catchy phrases now that people have begun to just kind of parrot because they're hearing it everywhere. But at the same time, like it is true. Mm -hmm. We are in a new moment. We are in a new time. But one of the biggest dangers in transitions in general is to not understand the right language, to not have the right, um, you know, understanding of what God is actually doing, which is why he's bringing, you know, fresh revelation right now for many, you know, of the, how do we say that? How do we do that? What does that look like? What does it not look like? Because we have to understand this in order to fully transition. You know, because there is an importance right now around language and definition and semantics, because those who've been operating in, you know, an old wineskin, old paradigm, there's a temptation at the moment to just take this new, fresh language because everybody recognizes God is doing a new thing. So take the new language and put it around the old thing. And it's like, you know, so a church has been operating the same way for 30 years. And so now, though, they're not a church, they're a hub. Mm. They didn't change anything. 
they're still the same exact organization functioning the same exact way. There hasn't been any, you know, recognition and submission to what God is actually shifting in this season. There's just been an identity change. Help Elijah Fire continue to make an impact around the world. All donations go toward making Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. Visit ElijahFire.com slash give and become a partner today. Which again comes to the, you know, the roots of the West. And we kind of just, you know, change our makeup and call ourselves something different. You reskin it or you throw a fresh coat of paint on it. And you're like, yeah. And it's not the new thing just because it's using the new language. Yeah. Come on. And so the new thing is actually new. Yeah. Like I wrote the other day that people will still spit out the old wine. It tastes the same. You can't trick people by just putting a different label on the same old thing Mm -hmm. that you've been giving them. Mm -hmm. They're going to taste it and be like, this is the same old thing. Like we have, it's the new wine and the new wineskin. And there really is something Mm -hmm. fresh that God is bringing that is from a different paradigm. And man, people who are clinging to their religion right now, like, it's just not wise because God is dealing with religion. He's dealing with the man-made things that are keeping people from him. And he, he, you know, he is wanting a pure body that is free from religion. Yeah. And so he's extracting us, you know, from those man-made things, those man-made things that have been added, you know, it's like, don't add anything. I've given you what you need. I've given you, you know, everything. We have everything in scripture yeah. to build from. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't need all the things that have been added along the way. Yeah. So why don't you talk about the, I guess the, uh, the differences between, I see a, a thing in your notes just about a house church versus a community group. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that kind of just to give like a, like a brief foundation, because I get a lot of questions, right? Cause I, I write and speak about these topics a lot. Yeah. And one of the primary um, questions I get are like, well, why can't a church be both? Why can't a church just like have small groups and then have a corporate assembly? Because we see in scripture, you know, we gather big, we gather small, you know, in the temple court, in the home, in the public square. So we've got this, this framework for gathering that's in scripture. And that's correct. We do gather in all of those different settings. However, it's not just about gathering big and gathering small. There's actually much deeper questions around, you know, why are we gathering? What are we doing? Who is leading and what are their responsibilities? Where does authority lie? What are the different types of leaders that are in that space? Like in regards to the group, like what do we expect to result from these different gatherings? Like we, we haven't actually had the right definitions around the gatherings themselves. We're just saying, oh, well, you know, we just have to gather in a big framework and then gather in a small framework. And that's a surface level question. It's a surface level understanding. We have to go deeper and actually ask better questions. And so um, we don't all mean the same things at the moment when we talk about house church, or I I use the word local assembly sometimes just to get people out of the word church. I, you know, like we have small gathering that has one purpose that it can accomplish best. And we have large gatherings that have purposes they can accomplish best Mm -hmm. and different reasons why they're important. But when it comes to, you know, I can just speak briefly to why can't 
why isn't a community group or a connect group or a life group or a, you know, all the words we've come up with for these things. Why isn't just a small group of believers from a church, a, a house church? Like, why isn't that a house church? Um, and there's, as I began to like really put language around this, I didn't even realize there was this much difference. Hmm. And I've been doing yeah. this for like nine years. Well, I'm, yeah. Like I, I, I find myself like when we talk, I'll, I'll ask you something and you're like, well, see, that's even what you're asking is part of like the old structure. I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, so <laughs> like, even that mm-hmm. it's like, it, it is so different from what we're used to mm-hmm. within the church structure as we know it. Yeah. Because it's a paradigm. So, because we ask questions that go within our box, Mm -hmm. but we haven't learned how to ask questions. See, this is the Hebrew understanding, like Hebraic thinking is about questions. Mm -hmm. Hellenistic thinking is more like structure. You know, it's a a different, like we've learned to think in a different way. And so we don't ask bigger, deeper questions without controlling the answer. See, the way we ask questions in you know, American church controls what the answer can be. So instead of like asking, like, what can we do in our services to promote more fellowship? That is a controlled question. Yeah. Because your answer has to limit, has to be within what we can do in our services. Mm -hmm. Instead of asking the question, what is the best way to promote fellowship? This question might actually cause you to have to get rid of your service completely. (laughs) We don't want to do that. Right. And so you ask a question yeah. that stays inside your paradigm. Right. And so we have to ask questions that are allowed to have answers outside of our paradigm. Because then it enables us actually that we have the freedom to make different choices and to shift things. And so we've just been taught to stay in the boxes. Mm. But I'll, I'll, I'll talk a few minutes just about like, you know, house churches and then kind of what's this hub concept. Cause everybody now is like becoming a hub, right? They're just changing mm-hmm. their name. They were so-and-so church and now they're so-and-so hub and <laughs> we're still doing the same thing. And it's like, yeah. okay, what is even a hub? Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think I talked about it last time as well. So I won't spend as much time about hubs. Go watch the ne- the last episode with her. If you want more information on that, but yeah. Um, but I, and I even have a lot more language since then. Right. Cause it's like, processing processing yeah, we started our hub here so we've got you know now even more language and understanding through experience but um when it comes to house churches you know we've got like such a different paradigm again that we're dealing with when you compare house church to a small group at church all right because from leadership i'd say is one of the biggest distinctions you've got central leadership in a small group that's coming down from a top kind of level and then in a house church, you've got decentralized leadership because the church is the church. Mm-hmm. So the house church is the thing. The leaders who are appointed in that house church are actually the leaders. There's not someone else who's the real leader. And the house church is like subject to the real leader. Does that make sense? Yep. Like the leaders who are appointed in that house, like they are leading that family. They're leading that spiritual family. Yeah to form into, you know, to become like Jesus. And there's qualifications for that. Right. And first, yeah, they're not a branch manager. They're not a, they're not a branch manager for a movement, for a church, for something. They have birthed a unique family of God that is going to grow together and also reproduce other families of God. Hmm. Right. So there's a very big difference in that. 
There are fivefold leaders who support and encourage and train and build them up. But the leader is the leader, mm-hmm. right? Just like Acts 14, 23, where it says Paul and Barnabas, they laid hands on the elders, right? The leaders of that place. They entrusted them to the care of the Lord and they moved right on. Yeah. So there's a, there's a difference there, right? The, the people who are leading these homes are not the extension of an organization. They're accountable and they're in relationship with overseers. They're responsible to God to disciple and cultivate a spiritual family. Yeah. And, you know, if there's serious issues going on, they have the support and the relationships to deal with that. Well, and all of that is biblical too. This is the way. This is literally what's in the Bible. When you read in Acts and you read in uh, the epistles, like you see that what you're talking about, it's touched on multiple different books. Yeah. And you've got team leadership supporting those places. There's not a single pastor. That's another giant distinction. It's not one leader who is overseeing all of those things. You have the shepherd, you know, which is a part of the fivefold. And that would be kind of the primary overseer of the care, you know, of homes and the care of the believers. But again, they're an overseer there to like support, to help, to build up. And they have other input from other leaders who they don't have to ask permission from the shepherd. Hey, can this prophet come here? Can this thing come here? Those, those people are respected in the region, respected in the community. And it's up to the home, what they need. Right. So, so again, it's like, it's, it's its own thing, yet interdependent to the whole. And that's the hub and the houses are interdependent things. You can't separate them. So you can't have like house church and have no, nothing else. It's still not right. You can't have just the hub equipping, 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 and no context for formation and life together. It's still not right. Like it's actually the interdependence of all of it. Hmm. So, I mean, and there's so much more, oh my gosh, like, but you've got in the house church, you've got mature saints, right? First Timothy three, diaconos, the ones who do the work. You've got mature saints who are full of the spirit and wisdom, Acts six, two through five, when the first people are appointed to take care of needs of the people, mm-hmm. right? That's when you see the first, and it doesn't use the same language in Acts six, but it's where you see the birth kind of of this distinction yeah, between fivefold leaders addressing, you know, the teaching and the equipping of the community, the, the work of God in that way. And you see others appointed to care for the needs of the community. You know, what's interesting. I was just thinking about this in numbers. You see this Moses is like, dude, God, I am going to, I'm going to just please kill me. I can't handle like, he actually says that he's like, please kill me. If I found favor in your eyes, please kill me in terms of leadership. And he's like, all right, get together people. And we're going to bring people to help share the load, you know, but like, yeah, I mean, that's a picture of, and, and that right there, Moses's breaking point of like, dude, I'm going to just, please kill me. Like, this is the worst having to lead all these people is, is the same structure that we have within our corporate model within church. When you have a figurehead, a pastor, and then that, that combustion moment of like, someone might actually say, God, please kill me. Or they might find themselves 
getting into like secret sin. They might find themselves doing yeah. spiritual manipulation, like all these things when you have Just all this responsibility, no yeah. person is actually created to have that kind of responsibility. Yeah. And you know, the, the kingdom, the ecclesia depends on no person, mm -hmm. depends on no person. It's a deregulation of power mm -hmm. and it's the empowering and the Lordship of Jesus. Boom. So there's still different roles, responsibilities. There's still some that have more influence, more authority, more whatever, but that is decided by Jesus. Like, and that person is living unto Jesus. It's not, it's not um, that I have more responsibility over the body because it's mine. I'm fulfilling an obligation unto Jesus because that's my appointed calling, mm -hmm. right? Like, but you know, we have to give house churches, we have to give assemblies of believers the space to grow as a community of people who are following Jesus together. There's not, there's not one pastor leader who is their authoritarian person. You have to allow the priesthood of the believer to start to take shape. That's that's why there is the person who's considered mature. Right. Because Acts 6, 2 through 5 would be that first kind of clarification of that. Let's get some people full of the spirit, full of wisdom. Right. But then you get into First Timothy 3 and you've got other qualifications, right? Years later that Paul is stating for the diaconos, the ones who are overseeing or the ones who are actually doing the work, sorry, among the body to disciple them and shepherd them. Mm. Um, you know, so you've got then, you know, the house church is their own entity, right? Which empowers the body to serve the body. So the body is serving the body. They're meeting the needs. They're caring for each other versus the extension of another organization that has the responsibility to serve the body. Mm. Right. So yeah. usually what you'd have in a community group or connect group, whatever you've got, oh, this person really has pastoral issues. Okay. Yeah. So let's fill out a pastoral care report so that real leaders can handle this issue. Right. When it should be person. you. Right. But actually the best case scenario is that the mature spiritual authority that's in the home, mm -hmm. right? The mature, yeah. the mature leaders within that house, which it doesn't have to just be one or two people. It could be many people who mm -hmm. are mature in that space. They are empowered and helped by the shepherd that they're in a relationship with to handle that issue. Mm -hmm. If they genuinely cannot handle it and it's just beyond, well, then you have to figure out, well, who do we need to help us handle this? Do we need apostles to come in? Do we need prophet? Do we need, you know, the shepherd to actually intervene and take over in this situation? Cause it's just beyond our capability. That's why we have overseers, but it's all, it's in special cases. It's not that they're coming in. Hey, well, I'm the overseer and I'm here today. So I'm taking over the group that's out of order. You've appointed leaders, right? When I think it's a picture of a, uh, a healthy family, because if you have an issue with a, a kid, one of your kids, you're not going to sit there and be like, okay, hold on. Let me fill out a report uh, to the people as <laughs> they're going to come in. They're going to deal with my kid. I have to wait. Okay. There's a wait time. I have to wait a month. Yeah. So we're going to wait to deal with this meeting. pastoral it's care us. meeting. Re no, like as, as a recognized parent within the home, you know, your authority and you just deal with it. Right. Yeah. And if you need help, you call upon others who are more experienced or who yeah. have more knowledge and wisdom than you do, yeah. right? To help you navigate the situation. Right. And so that's that is the role of elders in a region, right? The presbyteros, the ones who are leaders in a region collectively who are serving and governing in that region spiritually, right? To help the church mature. And so you have yeah. access to these people to serve 
but it's not like a, like I'm above you teach what I say, do what the church wants, promote the vision. Like this is not the context of a house church. Right. Well, and I think Um, too, like that's something that, that that's kind of a spiritual abuse that can happen in any type of gathering of believers. Because I know even within myself, like uh, when I was in YWAM, there was, um, and, and I love YWAM, you know, like I'm very open about that, but, but even then there were moments where like people would say, you know, if you voice like, Hey man, I'm, I've got these other things that I'm really feeling like, you know, and you, you kind of get strong armed into like forced into a position. Cause like, well, you're here to serve. And then they kind of push you into something that, and I think that's, that causes a lot of wounds for people. And I know friends that have been really wounded by that type of, I guess, ideology is like, well, you're here to serve and you're here to, you know, and it's kind of this like strong arming people into what you want them to do. It's a form of manipulation. Yeah. I mean, and we're not here to serve the church. We're here to serve the world. Hmm. And so those called to serve and to participate in the shepherding of the church, they are called to serve the church. Hmm. It's backwards. Yeah. Disciple ministry are the ones called to serve the church. Yeah. They raise up mature believers who then disciple and serve the believers. Then the believers are sent out to serve the world. So So this is again a backwards like understanding. Do you feel like that's one of the, uh, one of the key reasons why that mentality that we fostered uh, and quite frankly, discipled into people, if I can use that term um, is one of the reasons why the church is in the situation that it's in, in terms of the world. I mean, obviously I'm not looking at like, well, like persecution is a reality. That is a promised reality of following Jesus. But what I'm talking about is just this, we have so many people within the church that are like, I guess like circled the wagons and they're, you know, like, yeah, man, I mean, this, this is fresh. This is fresh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to process. Yeah. Yes. I mean, see that everything, almost everything about Dude. the Western church model is inside out. Yeah. Almost everything's backwards. And that's why everything's so dysfunctional Mm -hmm. because we've been using systems and structures and values and ideology that actually turns us in on ourselves. It, it, it completely reverses the great commission and it renders us immature and ineffective. Hmm. Right. So like, that's what I mean. We're in a reformation. Everything is shifting. Everything is being turned right way. So that we actually can do what God's called us to do. Because in this current state, we are weak. Yeah. We are immature. Yeah. There is not a way to come through that structure and end in the ecclesia, you know, gloriously rising in authority and power on the earth. It's not possible. It's not working. It's not working. Yeah. I think that most people can say this isn't working. Like even the people doing it, like I have talked to pastors on the phone who are like, dang, I might turn to drugs because I'm so over this and they're kidding, but it's the whole, like, it's the thing. Like I literally hate this, but I don't know how to change. I've sat with mega church. I like, I can't even tell you like how many pastors, like I literally hate it. I talked to one person one time. He's like, I literally, after COVID, I let my church like not meet for an extra couple months just because I didn't want to be there. Wow. And he, you know, kids, yeah, it shouldn't like, be that I was way. enjoying the break. He's like, I didn't want to be, you know, so you just, 
it's we're just we're doing it because it's what we're supposed to do and god is literally he's setting even the pastors free like he's setting yeah. everyone free in this and if people don't embrace the new wineskin right we hold on because of fear mm-hmm. we hold on because we're so scared of how it's going to affect our life and what it's going to mean but we don't understand that in this god is setting all of us free like what you're hearing Help us continue to make Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. To get behind this ministry, visit ElijahFire.com slash give. Now, back to the show. He's setting all of us free to be who we are, to release what we have, to, you know, you know what I mean? He's, 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 he's putting everyone, right people in right places where no one anymore will have to fulfill roles and responsibilities and, you know, like the work of the mm-hmm. kingdom that they weren't created to do. You know, we've got to raise people up to maturity so everyone can fulfill their work in serving the world and bringing the kingdom reality into the earth. This is the dominion mandate, right? That we would expand from the garden, right? Jesus brought us back into the garden. He brought us back into, you know, the garden mandate. That's the great commission that we would expand and we would take dominion, right? According to the kingdom of God, we can't take Mm -hmm. dominion. We can't expand if we're immature, We have to have people who understand who they are, what they're called to do. They're supported, equipped, empowered to do that. And they're sent into the world. It doesn't mean that they don't have community and fellowship. You know what I mean? But we've we've got it all backwards. Hmm. We're not serving church organizations. We have one organization, the Ecclesia of Jesus. There is one organization. We don't have different visions. We don't have different missions. We don't have all this stuff that everybody, we've added, 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 added. And now it's something totally different. We got to come back to the basics. God wants a powerful church and we we got to remove all the excess because we're not going to get there the way that we've been going. Mm. So dude. I dude. Really, obviously. I really, <laughs> this. I really believe this is true. Yeah. Um I'm I I I'm convicted of, you know. How could you not be? Even if you're teaching it, you're like, yeah, dude, like there's so much, but I mean, like, how could you not get convicted about this stuff? Even as, even in the position you're in of constantly having this refinement constantly, like God is going to constantly reveal. So there's a lot ingrained in us. that's part of a structure that's actually not biblical, but it's been there for so long. Right. And the leaders, you know, so many leaders are actually amazing people, but they're trapped in systems yeah. that hurt people. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, church hurt. The leaders hurt you. Yes, but they also were trained up in the same system. They replicate the same system and they live in, there's, they don't know another way to be, mm-hmm. right? And so we have to get like these, these systems are actually the problem. A lot of people aren't the problem. It's the system that's the problem. That's why God's dealing with the system. Right. He's dealing with the Babylonian systems, the ways that we've been doing things. And he's pulling us back to first love and he's giving us new frameworks so that we actually can function, you know, in who we are. And so some people clinging onto these systems, it's just showing where their identity is actually at. And it's not in Jesus. Hmm. Because the systems are not Jesus. Right. And the systems didn't come from the Bible. So you've got to ask yourself, why are you so obsessed? Why are you clinging to this so hard? It's because your identity is in it. Your finances are in it. Yeah. Your livelihood is in it. You're, and these are, these are hard things for people to come and conf, to, to confront. 
And so it's easier to just, you know, I hope that's not true. I hope that's yeah. not true. And it's like, well, that's a little vulnerable. So I'm going to pretend like I didn't see it or I didn't, you know, yeah, like, like, wow, that's really attacking my idols. Uh -huh, like, yeah. So anyways, press that. Yeah. Like something else. Um, yeah. I mean, but man, I have like literally probably seven more points just about house churches. And that didn't even get us into, you know, talking about hubs. Yeah. Well, we'll use that as a carrot to dangle in front of people. I'm like, it, we will discuss back, this. Part two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah. Right, how much more do you want me to go into? Because I'm happy to share a couple more of these. Uh, I mean, thoughts. it's really up to your time. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good to keep going. I just want to be sensitive to your time. Yeah. Let me share a few more of these thoughts since yeah. I think people will come to like understand this and you cut them off now. They'll be like, ah, you know. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, so let, let me just blaze through a few of them. Yeah, sure. um, so outside of leadership, another main distinctive would be the priorities, right? So there's a main priority usually in church of a Sunday gathering, the service, the service-based mentality and community groups, small groups are a peripheral priority where, you know, small groups are usually used to, to be an extension of the main priority, right? Whereas in a house church, it's, it's actually the priority is, is within that space. You're not actually trying to get a reinforcement of another thing, right? There's not a, there's not a control over what is taught. There's not people watching on a screen to watch a pastor's message. There's not a debrief of, you know, what was taught on Sunday in the house church. You're reinforcing again, that priesthood of the believer. There's not programming that's happening in a house church see in a small group it's programmed the same way as it's programmed in a sunday you know so there's a control over what's being done and there's generally an approval over what's being done and an approval over what's being taught or the activity people are doing and you know you have to be approved and you have to go through this process and then um you know we will tell you what you're able to teach study. Right. Mm -hmm. You have to watch this video all together and talk about it. You have to sing these three songs, collect an offering, da, da, da. This is an extension of the programming of Sunday, just in a smaller group. Mm -hmm. This is, You're not actually facilitating and cultivating a priesthood of believers who are mature in God. Hmm. You're creating people that are just having a service in their house. That's a little bit smaller, right? So in a, in a house church, in a, in a environment of people that you're training to live life together, you are creating a space, right? You're, you're appointing people who are mature in God. You're supporting them to create a spiritual family that is led by the spirit. And you're instilling goal, like um, values and convictions, Right. Those leaders have shifted into a different set of values and convictions about what they do that guide how they gather, mm -hmm. that guide the things that take place in that space, that guide their ability to be accountable, you know, to biblical understanding. But you're not telling them we are studying this sermon from pastor so and so. Yeah. Or we're You're going through the purpose-driven life together. Right. I had one one time, you know, it was, we're reading this book and eating at a cupcake shop. And it was just like, how far have we fallen? Like, yeah. this is what we're doing. We're going to a cupcake shop. Like, I, I mean, cupcakes are awesome. Bring cupcakes. You can have pie cupcakes. is better, but cupcakes <laughs> are cool. Yeah. You know, it's, it's more about like, 
it's it's again the the, the where is the authority right like who is in charge right. why like what like all of these things come into play when you start to distinguish between these different spaces and why they are extremely different in what they produce yeah yeah you know when you are teaching people framework not giving them prescriptions you get a really different ownership and contribution from the people who are involved versus you're still promoting consumerism when you have people coming to just consume a teaching uh-huh. and go home you still mm-hmm. are doing the same thing just in smaller groups yeah or so even if it's in book form yeah sorry what did you say i said or even if it's in book form you know like we're gonna go through this book i mean you're still ingesting something and i don't know that that's necessarily i mean what would you say is not necessarily not necessarily bad to be like hey let's want to read this book together but institutionalized like that even that structure like you're talking about it's not bad but it's not necessarily creating a spiritual family of formed mature believers which is actually our mandate so right like a lot of times we ask like is this like a good thing and it's like it's fine but it's actually not our assignment so it's fine to do that if you want to do that as long as you're doing the main things but right. the peripheral things are not the main thing. Yeah. And so we do a lot of peripheral. It's like I, I said one time the example, I was like, you know, it's like we took ice cream and then we put like sprinkles on it and we put whipped cream on it and we put, you know, some candy on it and then we put some chocolate on it and then we put this and then we remove the ice cream. <laughs> yeah. So 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 here, Isn't this ice cream good. We're having this great ice cream sundae and there's actually no ice cream in it. You wow. literally lost the point. Like mm. all you have is toppings. All you have is peripheral stuff that wasn't wow. even the main objective or the Dude. main assignment. That's a great analogy. And, you know, we're just eating these Sundays and it kind of looks like a Sunday because, you know, you've got all these like toppings. Yeah. You're like, I'm sure ice cream is in there. Well, it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's not in there. The ice cream is gone. Yeah. And so we've got to return back to ice cream, mm. just ice cream. And then, you know, if you want to add like a little sprinkle of whatever, like, okay. But is the ice cream there? Because like, that's what we want to know. Like, are we doing the actual things that God said to do? And then we can do other stuff that is peripheral and also fine and good. Mm-hmm. Right. So we need to yeah. return back to that. And yeah. I, I think a, a good a good thing to even end on, um, you know, with this would be to just to share, you know, because some people would ask, like, well, what does that mean? So you're talking about putting people in a group and, you know, having them decide what goes on in that group. Mm-hmm. You know, I think most pastors would literally just start twitching over the fear of what happens in a group of people deciding what's going on with no program. Mm. But that very reaction comes out of the the structure of control, right? Because we've created environments with high control because there's low maturity. When you have environments with freedom, you have to have maturity, right? So maturity actually has to be your goal because the freer an environment is, the more mature people have to do, have to be to understand how to navigate their freedom. Mm -hmm. And so if you create environments without having maturity as the byproduct, well, yeah, you have to place like heavy boundaries around those environments. Well, you're, you're creating a codependency, even if you're not intending to, you're creating a codependency. Okay. Well, my pastor is going to tell me what to do, or my leader is going to tell me what to do, or they're going to, they're going to know what to do in this situation rather than me taking control and going, okay, hang on. What does the Bible say about this? What am I supposed to do? I should, I have access to that. Well, yeah, the more mature people get, the freer and safe 
right? Because safety is actually a value, like Hmm. spiritual safety, right? So you find environments with high freedom, low maturity. That's where you get all of the crazy charismania and the nonsense that happens in the church. Yeah. Right. And then you have other environments, high control, low maturity, you know, and that's where you get the religion and, you know, the people that are like, you know, can't even make a decision without their pastor's involvement, like this kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. And so it's all bad. Yeah. The devil has it all. Yeah. It's like the, it's like a, one is like a kite in a hurricane, you know, untethered, just free as a bird. Uh, And then the other one is like a sinking stone, you know? Um, Yeah. So so. God is wanting high freedom, high maturity. That's actually what biblical ecclesia looks like. High freedom, high maturity. And so we can't have one without the other. You can't just go for freedom. You actually have to mature people so they understand how to navigate their freedom in safe ways. And so, you know, as you teach, um, you know, what do you actually do in a house church then? So if you're not, if you're not, you know, reading a pastor's sermon, if you're not reading a book, if you're not watching a video, how do you actually cultivate an environment of people that are growing together? How does one house church? How does one house church? Yeah. Um, You know, and so in Acts, I think there's a great framework for that, you know, and, and it's, you know, we can all read it there. It's like, you know, the, and the Lord added to their numbers daily. Those yes, were And now saved. we will read through the whole book of Acts right now. Acts uh, from start to finish. Yes. Right now, just to get the whole picture. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But essentially we boiled it down to five um, pillars. We call them pillars, right? So we don't say, here's your run sheet. Um, and you should worship for 10 minutes and sing these three songs. Yeah. You should have 10 minutes of ministry time. You should read this scripture for about 30 minutes and ask these three questions. We don't do that. Instead, we teach people the conviction of worship, the conviction of prayer, the conviction of fellowship and eating meals together and living life together, the conviction of ministry, right? Of of equipping one another and ministering to one another out of our gifts. Like you teach these convictions and you hold them as pillars. And so it's like, well, this week, what are we doing exactly? How how long? Well, as a group, we have been reading this scripture. So we're going to bring that in. We're going to talk about it. We're going to discuss it. We're going to, you know, invite the spirit to bring revelation to us. We're going to share what we've, you know, received and exchange revelation among ourselves. We're going to worship. Well, how are we going to worship? What songs are we going to sing? That's up to the group. How are we going to grow in ministry? Who's going to minister to who? What ministry is going to take place? That's up to the spirit. That's up to what God does. Who, like, again, we have to teach people, okay, here's some frameworks. Hold these things like a rubber band. If you go for like years without reading the Bible and you're great in fellowship, let's say you're having great dinners, great conversations, you're praying for each other, but you don't read the Bible for a year, you're going to begin to be whoop, way off. Mm-hmm. You know, you just read the word every week and you don't worship and you don't have fellowship and you don't have life together. You're going to end up way off. Like, so you have to teach people how to balance the health. And this is, this is leadership, right? Mm-hmm. You have to teach people leading in these spaces, how to balance the health of what they're doing around pillars of importance versus programs that they have to follow. Mm-hmm. And this helps people to assess. It helps self-assessment to like continue yeah. to happen. But it's more like, it sounds like it's more like an ebb and flow and less like, okay, no, it has to be a 20% of this, right? 30% of this, yada, yada, yada. Because right. I would imagine sometimes your meetings are going to be more, more leaning. And they, it's, and 
one gathering might lend more into reading the word yeah. or like there might be, Oh dude, like there's some people that just need some TLC. We're just going to fellowship. We're just yep. going to, you know, and, and, and rather than like, cause I've been in meetings even where like they threw everything out because the Lord really showed up yes. during worship. And they're like, yeah, we just did the whole thing. Cause we, and it was really powerful, you know? And so we have these moments within church where you're like, wow, that was different. That was, that felt like we genuinely were just letting the Lord do what he right. wanted in our midst. And then you're like, okay, so next week we're going back to the normal scheduled structure of boring vanilla. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's allowing for the spirit to, to do what the spirit does. Yeah. Right. When you read about the church in Corinthians and it's like, one brings a song, one brings a word, one brings this, there is space. Yes. For the Holy Spirit to lead the meeting and for people to respond to the spirit and not feel like they're violating a program. And so you have to leave the space for that. But at the same time, over time, you've got to assess, you know, as a spiritual family, are we healthy? Are we eating all the things we need in order to grow? And, you know, and that's a part of the role of overseers. That's part of the role, of, you know, that we're seeing, hey, are we actually like growing in all things? Are we maturing in all things? And it's, 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 it's relational. It's fluid. It's not like, did you do your five things this week? Check these boxes. Did you do it? This is, this is control. This is the old wineskin. We've got to teach people how to hear and respond to the spirit, how to operate in their ministries, how to do like, we have to create spaces where they can make mistakes, where they can grow together, you know? And so that, that really, you know, gives half of the reasons why I have to not even half of the reasons why a house church is not a small group. Um, but hopefully that will help people draw some Dude. distinction and then we can talk about, we can do part two. How about that? We'll do. Part yeah, two. let's do it. I just invited myself. We'll no, it just, it's, it's totally well. I'm totally cool with it. Totally cool with it. Yeah. yeah I just think there's so much. I, I mean, Rayma, I really, I just feel like, Oh, like even like my heart stirring, like as you're talking. And I think a lot of it is really just that like this year is going to be really marked by this. I think this yeah. is where I really, I really believe it. Um, I feel it. Um, I know everyone backstage feels it. So many of my friends feel it. People, random people I talk to feel it that, that like God is really pulling us outside of this structure that's really ultimately failed. Um, I don't know how many times do you see, oh, I just want Jesus, man. I just want Jesus in this, this meeting. I don't want, you know, and I think that I, anyways, anyways, yes, we'll talk more about this. Um, can you do me a favor and just pray, pray for us? Like, um, as we're moving through this year, like this is going to become more apparent and, and, um, yeah, just pray for us. Yeah. Yeah. Holy spirit. We just, we thank you. We thank you that you have your body in a Kairos moment of time where we are being led by you. We're being led by you into the way of Jesus and not a program, not a new set of things we have to do and, and, you know, change, but we're being led into a new way of being a new way of being in Christ. And I pray Lord for people you know, who are struggling with change, who are struggling with transition, mm -hmm. 
who are struggling with religion, who are, who are afraid of the cost. I pray God that your spirit would come and that you would bring um, peace to our hearts, that you would bring conviction that we want you and we don't want anything that keeps people from you. That Jesus would return to the central place in the church. We pray, God, that you would begin to establish, you would begin to establish people's hearts toward the main thing, the primary thing, the central thing, that we would let go of the things that we're holding on to that are keeping people from Jesus, that we would let go of the things that we've known in order to embrace a higher way. Mm -hmm. I pray, God, that you would begin to, to, to just raise up leaders in this time who know that they are called to build in the new. I pray that you would begin to draw their hearts. You know, God has had on my heart lately for leaders who have basically taken a back seat. They've basically been like, you know what? I'm out. They've left the church. They've been sitting back. God has been taking me into intercession for these leaders who are still called, but they have abandoned the church because of what it's become. I pray, God, that you would move to their hearts right now, that you would prompt them, Lord, that your spirit would draw them and would heal them, that they would understand that they were born for this time. They were born to rise in this time and to lead your body into a new way, that you would deal with the discouragement and the trauma and the hurt and the pain that they've experienced in the structure. And you would encourage their heart to believe and to hope again in the calling that you've placed in their heart. And so I pray, Lord, just, um, you know, that you would just move their heart, move their spirit to receive truth, to receive what the spirit is saying right now to the church. And I pray, God, that you would strengthen us as we move, as we follow Jesus into the unknown. And so we love you, Jesus. Mm -hmm. We love your church. We love what you are doing. And we pray that we would have boldness and strength and conviction to uproot what needs to be uprooted and to plant what needs to grow in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Rama, thank you so much. Yes. I'm looking forward to part two uh, and we'll get that booked ASAP. Um, uh, Also guys, please, if you're wanting more information about this stuff, if you're wanting like, man, tell me more, tell me more. I want to, um, Go watch our previous episodes we've done, but also please, please, please follow Rama. Like she posts stuff about this all the time. Um, and yeah, we'll put a link in to the last episode we did about this year. If you missed it, um, it's worth checking out. We're going to put it in the description. It's in the description for you guys, but please follow Rama. Links are in the description to all of her different platforms because she is posting about this all the time. Yeah. And you, you know, you really do, you try to make as many resources available. This isn't about personal gain. This isn't about, you know, you really do try to put as much of this stuff out there to help people. Um, but I don't know if there's anything else you want to plug while we're here. Yeah. I mean, I have a, I have a, a school for leaders happening right now that has been powerful. Um, we're only two sessions in, so there's still probably some time for people to catch up a bit, but um, it's going for 12 weeks. Dude. called reroute the pathway out of orphan hearted leadership. And so people are really getting shifted in a, in powerful ways. I have about five or six other leaders coming in to, um, you know, including, um, um, Dr. Luke Nibel. I have, um, Alan Hirsch coming as a guest. I've got, nice. um, Mike Brewer and Lisa Max. 
who've been helping with a lot of the deliverance and healing and, and all this stuff. It, I mean, it's just been so powerful so far. So, um, you know, I would just encourage any leaders who are like, how do I shift? Because I know how to do, but I don't, I'm, what I'm doing is off and I don't know how to change who I am. Yeah. Right. So that's really what this is yeah. for. I think we have a hundred leaders in there already awesome. going through this 12 week process together. Um, and how can and people have, find out more about reroute? How can they? Yeah, it, there's links. Um, it's like literally pinned on my Facebook and I can give you a, um, the link as well. That you Perfect. Can yeah. We'll have that in the yeah. description. You guys, there's other courses and other stuff too, that people can awesome. find on my website, but amazing. Yeah. Come on. Well, Rayma, thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah. So guys have an amazing Wednesday. Tune in tomorrow. We've got co-founder of California will be saved. Ross Johnson. We're Johnston in the house and super excited to have that guy back. I love that guy. Uh, and we're going to be talking the talk and we're going to be <laughs> talking about walking the walk and all that stuff. I don't know what we're talking about. All right. We're going to, we're going to freestyle. It's okay. going to be great. So that's at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Um, guys, we appreciate you. We love you. And we'll see you tomorrow at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time with Ross Johnson. Okay, bye. This has been Elijah Fire. Thanks for listening. For more episodes like this, you can check out the Elijah Fire podcast on ElijahFire.com, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us live every weekday at 2 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, and Facebook. Elijah Fire is presented by Elijah Streams and is part of Elijah List Ministries. Go to ElijahFire.com slash give for more info on how you can donate today. Thank you.